Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Pax. And I'm Abigail. So there is no week wind update for this week, unfortunately, so we're just going to dive right into uh, today's read. We'll be continuing where we left off last week with part two of our Spider-Verse read-through which was done by Dan Slott with art by Olivier Coipel and Giuseppe Camincoli. And we're going to be reading Amazing Spider-Man number 12 to 15 and Spider-Woman 3 to 4 this week because those are all of the issues that Gwen appears in. We're not going to cover the rest of the stuff. Yeah, Gwen appears more on this, more than I remember. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's been it's been a good read-through and I'm, and I'm looking forward to, to talking about this. Same here, like... Gwen really does get a, a fair amount of play in this arc, like probably more than I even remembered. Yeah. So we're going to do a synopsis to get everybody on the same page for this week's episode. But we do recommend not just listening to last week's episode, but like also reading the Spider-Verse event and reading the issues that we've mentioned already in this podcast so that uh, you you have the best sort of experience from this possible. It's sort of a bit like a book club, you know, uh, we all read it and then and then we discuss. Um, so reading this synopsis here begins uh, sort of picking up after last week where Captain Universe Spider-Man had just been killed and now everybody doesn't know what to do on Earth-13 and stuff. So that's uh, from there. It says, After consuming the Enigma Force-empowered Spider-Man, Solus now wields immense power and strength. He begins to tear apart the Spider-Forces while Morlin portals out the baby Benji, the Scion, to be handed off back on Loomworld. Mayday unsuccessfully attempts to follow through and is left distraught by the loss of her infant sibling. Peter 616 returns of Gwen, Anya, and several new Spider-Men. He introduces Takuya Yamashiro, the Spider-Man, or rather the Supida-Man of Earth 51778 and his giant robot Lepardon. Solus expends all of his new energies to tear the robot apart while Pete evacuates the other spiders. Mayday protests wanting to find out from Solus where they took Benji, but the situation was too dangerous to stay. On a 3145, Cindy finds a toxic dystopian environment, lifeless after a thermonuclear war. The inheritor twins pursuing her cannot follow her in, so despite some initial pain and discomfort, Cindy presses on, insulating herself with her webbing. In her exploration of this reality, she finds the Sims Bunker, the hideout that Cindy spent so many years in her past on 616. Cindy explores the toxic reality of Earth 3145, while Jessica is forced into a deeply uncomfortable evening having to entertain the romantic aspirations of Morlin. She has assumed the identity of the Jessica Drew of Loomworld, a celebrity and the beloved of Morlin. Using her super pheromones to sell the act, Jessica feigns sickness and gets out of there. She reckons she has only about 10 minutes before the pheromones wear off and he recognizes her non-resemblance to the Jessica Drew of this reality. Jessica calls Peter, testing her teleporter and communications device mid-infiltration into the inheritor's home, which happens to be too short of a power for a full jump through the multiverse. She soon found out by the Master Weaver, however, and cuts the call short. The mysterious figure explains how he is forced into service by the inheritors and that he attempts small acts of rebellion against their plans. He provides Jessica with the full details of the oft-referenced prophecies in scroll format. 
Needing to get rid of the scrolls containing the prophecies before anyone can notice them, she straps her teleporter to them and sends them directly to Peter on Earth 8847. The surviving spiders from Earth 13 regroup on Earth 8847, including Takuya, albeit mourning his robot. Peter checks in with other teams across the multiverse, including the spiders in the year 2099. There they have dissected Deimos' defeated body from earlier and glean information from an autopsy. Before they can relay any data from it, Genix interrupts the transmission, cutting short the conversation and revealing his knowledge of everything that they have been saying and doing. It's only now that he saw fit to end the sharing of any significant tactical information. Verna, dispatched by Genix, arrives on Earth 8847 with her hounds in tow, and the beleaguered group of spider totems are plunged into fighting once more. On advice from Cindy transmitted just before Genix can cut it short, Peter once again evacuates the spiders, this time to the toxic Earth 3145. They quickly traverse the toxic landscape and find the Sims bunker. As well as regrouping with Sulk, they meet the spider totem of this reality there, Uncle Ben. On Loomworld, the family of inheritors profusely apologize to Solus for a string of perceived failures in pursuing the spiders, particularly after their escape to Earth 3145, and sabotage of the cloning facilities that granted them immortality. Back in the bunker, Ben explains that he retired from the Spider-Man mantle, much to Peter's confusion. He explained how his Peter and May died as collateral in the fight with his arch-nemesis, the Emerald Elf. He sought refuge from Morlin in the Sims bunker, which incidentally protected him from the nuclear fallout triggered by a miscalculation in one of this reality's Otto Octavius's plans holding the world hostage. This last fact particularly upsets Superior Spidey, who is left speechless by the revelation that Otto could make a miscalculation. The spiders start trying to decipher the prophetic scrolls obtained by Jessica. Realizing Jessica must still be trapped behind enemy lines without a teleporter device, Cindy breaks off from the group feeling guilty as Jessica was only on Loomworld to help her to begin with. She convinces Gwen that it's super important that she get Jessica back and so the two head out to retrieve their friend. Jessica makes a getaway by boat from Loomworld Harbor but is intercepted by pirates, now led by the Jessica Drew whose identity she feigned. Before the fighting can escalate in their favour, Cindy and Gwen working together portal in and assist Jessica in dispatching the pirate crew. Gwen and Cindy have a brief, terse exchange over Cindy's attempt at entrance banter, but Jessica is pleased to see the two, newly introduced to Gwen now and eager to hug Cindy. After several attempts from different spiders, Anya Corazon is the one to figure out the strange script of the scrolls familiar to her from the spider cult that her powers are tied to. The prophecy states that the spiders are destined to end the inheritor's reign of power a thousand years from now, and the only chance of them stopping this is wiping all the spider totems out of existence. The scroll further lays out a ritual to stop any new totems from emerging, using the blood sacrifices of the other, the scion, and the bride. On Earth 802, Kane and Jessica 1610 stand in the rubble of Genix's destroyed cloning facility and mourn the loss of an ally in the fighting. Furious, Kane goes it alone to fight the inheritors, seeking to make good on the destruction of their ability to stay immortal. This occurs at the same time as Cindy getting trapped on Loomworld when their teleporter is destroyed. On Loomworld, the inheritors pick up on the scent of the bride and the other, starting a new hunt to complete their ritual. Peter tries to convince Kane to regroup over the communicators, but he ignores this and gives over to the other, initiating a monstrous spider transformation. 
Realizing the gravity of the situation, Peter gives the order for all spiders to head out to Loom World to retrieve Kane and Cindy. The inheritors face down the newly transformed Kane, the other. Absolutely formidable now, the other surprises the initial rush of inheritors and kills Solus on the spot. Driven by a new sense of vengeance, Morland finds a way to kill the other by using one of its own legs to stab it through the head. At the same time, Verna, her hounds, and the twins hunt down Cindy and her allies. Peter has a hard time convincing Ben to take back his Spider-Man mantle, and it's not until an aggressive speech from Otto Octavius about how dealing with failure is a normal part of every great struggle. This appeals to Ben's better nature and rouses him into action. The spider friends teleport out, ready for a fight. The spider army arrives right into the fray around Gwen and Jessica. Silk has been taken by Verna. Peter decides to take out the hound pursuing Gwen, a green goblin, but Gwen insists that she is capable of this fight, which Peter respects. She quickly dispatches the familiar foe. With the hounds defeated, the spiders head out to the Great Hall of the Inheritors to stop the ritual from progressing any further. The Inheritor, still grieving Solus, who is stuck stored in a crystal until he can get a new clone body, begin the ritual. They cut into the carcass of the other, staining the strands of the Great Web, the first of the sacrifices needed to stop spider totems from spawning any further. Then they draw the blood from the Hand of Silk, the Bride, for the second blood sacrifice. Finally, Morland takes a dagger and raises it above his head to sacrifice baby Benji, the Scion, to complete the ritual. The spiders arrive just in time and Peter webs the dagger right out of Morland's hands. The spider army and the inheritors engage in one last confrontation. The inheritors seem set to overpower them. After centuries of exile though, with Solus's death, Khan is able to return through the great web and renounces his inheritance, choosing to fight alongside the spider totems. Tiring of the distraction from the ritual, Morland goes to complete the ritual once more but finds that the baby has gone, taken by Uncle Ben who portaled out with it, and is now replaced by the pink form of Spider-Ham without any costume. Peter brings in further reinforcements with a newly repaired Lepada. Thanks to the technical wizardry of futuristic Spider-Man 2099 and the steampunk Lady Spider turning the tide of the fight in their favour. Much to everyone's dismay, Otto takes advantage of the situation to murder the Master Weaver, bringing an end to any possibility of the ritual being completed. Mayday briefly has an opportunity to crush the Crystal of Solace, but sees Otto's path and rejects any vengeful actions for the murder of her own father. Deimos kneels beaten, but Moreland makes one last attempt to kill Peter, who calls off any support from the other spider totems in favor of teleporting both him and his inheritor rival to Earth-3145. Peter indicates to Moreland the way to the bunker before collapsing in the heap, unable to move in the radiation after the hit his life force took in the struggle. Cindy retrieves him before Peter's body can give out in an ultimate sacrifice and brings him to Loom World. Soon, all the inheritors, including the Crystal of Solus, are exiled to live in the bunker on Earth-3145 by Khan and the Totems. The spider totems begin to head home to their respective realities. Mayday Parker goes back to Earth-982 and is reunited with her baby brother, now dubbing herself Spider-Woman. The Uncle Ben of Earth-3145 offers to stay too, getting the opportunity to be something Uncle Ben has never been, a grandfather. Just as all seems to be going well as they say goodbyes and head out through portals, Superior Spidey makes one last final attempt to throw the fate in store for him in his favour, slashing at the strands of the Great Web, throwing it into distress. 
Peter evacuates the last non-616 spider totems, Gwen and Miguel, as the rest form to take on Otto. The spiders restrain Otto and prevent any further damage to the web. Anya sees that the inheritor ritual dagger he was using to cut at it contains information about the Master Weaver role which could repair the web. There will always be a Master Weaver, and it seems that Cindy is the only one fit for the role. She removes the mask of the old Master Weaver and is puzzled that it wasn't someone they knew, except that Khan steps forward, removing his own mask and revealing that they share a face. Khan has always been the Master Weaver, or rather, would always be the Master Weaver, as time does not move on Loomworld in a linear fashion. He realizes the burden he must bear now and takes the role and large mechanical spider lower body. They begin the work of repairing the web by sending Otto back to his own time and place. The distortion causes him to lose all memory of these events. The 616 strand is soon secured and the spiders can all head home, except for Spider UK, Billy Braddock. Earth 833 is gone, destroyed by incursions that have been wiping out whole realities. Billy was supposed to be helping to investigate them with the Captain Britain Corps before going to fight for the spiders. Billy decides to stay on Loomworld as a base to help different realities that have lost their spiders, and Anya even chooses to stay and help him. The 616 spiders head home as a hand discreetly emerges from the body of the other. The Jessica Drew of Loomworld enjoys a life as a rich pirate queen, now no longer under the oppressive Morlin. Up on deck, however, she is soon confronted by Cindy, Gwen, Anya, and her 616 counterpart. Noting the chaos and destruction back on land, Jessica implores Jessica to consider helping to lead the people of Loomworld instead of just sailing away. Loomworld Jess accepts this offer, and the pirates and spiders join forces to tame the fighting back in the city. They successfully win the day and establish Loomworld Jess as the new ruler. Jessica 616 herself takes some time to think about her own job and once back on her home reality, quits her role as an Avenger. She decides that she wants to help ordinary people at a smaller scale with her own apartment and life. Well, hey, that is that Spider-Verse. At least that's our Spider-Verse reading. As far as we're concerned with Gwen's involvement. Yes, yeah, This is this, these are the parts of the event that Gwen appears in and does stuff and, and kicks stuff and punches faces and looks cool doing it. That, so that's, uh, that's why we wanted to read this um, for the podcast. Yeah, because in fairness, this is Gwen's very first multiversal adventure, the first of many. Absolutely, yeah. This is um, I, th- I think because she was introduced in such an interdimensional way, Gwen is basically just ever since this event just been back and forth across the multiverse the whole time. Um, she was introduced with the web watches. Is that what they're called? I think they unofficially call it the web watches. Yeah, these like these little teleports communicates things. She was introduced alongside them, and she's basically always had some kind of access to the multiverse the whole time that she's had comics, and she's always bouncing back and forth, and she's always had sort of um, these allies and friends that that, she, that that she's being introduced to here. Really, I mean, it's all laid down here, um, and I think I think that's always been because of the Spider Verse event. It's always been the sort of catalyst for her introduction. I mean, even with the film, which has made Gwen really popular uh, into the Spider Verse, which in is is not like this Spider-Verse, it's its own thing, uh, really. I mean, that's, that's a whole other thing we can get into, but but even that, with as different as it is, is still a, a big interdimensional thing introducing Gwen. And uh, yeah, like I think that's always going to be a sort of staple of Spider-Gwen comics and related appearances. It's kind of like back in the day, like Marvel could have chosen to leave Gwen as a one and done, but the introduction of Spider-UK at the end of the issue, I think it's like, you know, nope, we're going to introduce her in this big old 
I'm just gonna call it spider orgy. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, and um, yeah, and and she sticks out from the rest of the spiders. I think um, quite noticeable. I think just visibly, like a lot, a lot of a lot of Gwen stuff is um is a character design thing. Like when we had Shauna Maguire on, and we've mentioned it in the past, the, this thing that comes through about why Gwen is so popular, and what Maguire said was 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 that um essentially the character design is doing a lot of the work here. Gwen is visually very appealing character to look at. And and when you have Spider-Verse with all of these different looking spiders on panel at once, clashing with each other and whatever, colors and visual and aesthetic and stuff, uh, Gwen is the one who looks coolest. Gwen has the funnest, sort of most unique looking design on, on page in, in a lot of these, which is saying a lot for an event where they where they really had free reign to create and put whoever on, on panel. So um, I, I think that really comes through when reading this event that you know, even the panels where like Gwen is really just another spider kicking another vampire person in the face, she's still you know she still stuck out by virtue of the character design. And then there's also another stick out moment where Gwen's still trying to wrap her head around how most of these other spiders, how their version of Gwen Stacy has died, and she's the only one, as far as she's concerned, she's the only one who's not dead. Like even she made that offhanded remark about how sad it was how in six one six she's the chick who got fridged off the bridge. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought that was quite interesting, just how meta that is for a Marvel comic to actually recognize Gwen as being fridged, Gwen 616 as being fridged. That's like, because fridging, of course, is a comics-related term that came up because of deaths like Gwen's in comic books, uh, with specifically as a, as a thing from that one Green Lantern comic with Kyle Rayner's girlfriend being put in the fridge, and the idea that in the Marvel universe that enough media analysis discourse has come up about to create the term fridged for Gwen to then use it about herself but in reality it's I don't know it's 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 uh, it has really big implications that one word that that I, I sort of sat and I thought about for a while um because it's sort of there's layers to that that sort of uh yeah it's um but I appreciate the, the sort of the call out there, the criticism of, of that original story. But then, you know, when you think about it nowadays, when you're trying to introduce new readers to the concept of Gwen Stacy, the first one that they're going to think of right away is, oh, Ghost Spider, not the original one. I think, uh, at least as far as kids are concerned, definitely. Like, brand new readers, you know, like, brand new people <laughs> um, finding comic books and comic book related media are gonna think of Ghost Spider, Spider Gwen, etc. Um, I, I think among a certain like generation upwards, you, you're probably gonna find people who do still consider Six One Six Gwen whenever they talk about Gwen Stacy. But but yeah, I think um, yeah, this is this is the event which really really put Spider Gwen on the map, sort of allowed for her genesis and everything. And um, and yeah, like it's interesting to see a lot of sort of Gwen related tropes and stuff, the way that she gets talked about sort of being burst used here. Like there's there's a like sometimes like the captions are like, Oh, this character's very cool or or the friction between her and Cindy or sort of the friction slash friendship that she has with Pete and stuff, like all of that sort of began here and um I think it's very interesting. I think it creates quite a compelling narrative for our girl here. It's um yeah. And didn't you also kind of find it a little bit meta about when Gwen was fighting the goblin hounds, 
everyone was just concerned about her because she doesn't know about her counterpart's history of goblins. Yeah, no, I thought that was interesting um, how they sort of set that up because, like, I, I, you know, like, on, on one hand, it's like Pete, obviously, he has a history of being, like, within this event, right? Like, of being overprotective of Gwen because of the fact that, that his Gwen died at the end of the Green Goblin, then has to then, like, mentally deal with the fact that Gwen has to fight with Green Goblin on her own here, basically. Or at least a, a sort of reduced version of the Green Goblins. I mean, he's a Green Goblin hound person, so he'd been all... He's been lobotomized. Yeah, yeah, that, that sort of that whole... Yeah. Even Jess made a remark about that Gwen should be careful around the Goblin hound. Yeah, yeah, it was... um. They sort of really set it up within the context of the comic, this, this whole thing where, like, no, 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 Pete's like, okay, okay, you are your own person you 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 can do this um and i thought that was i don't know like it, it did feel a, a little bit forced but also at the same time as payoff for the setup with pieces earlier failings i think a nice way to provide some kind of closure on sort of pete being able to trust gwen um because i think from here on out they sort of trust each other even if they don't agree all the time especially since i'm gonna be paraphrasing for gwen around here like when she says that she can do it by herself she's like i don't need your help parker i can do this myself yeah yeah which uh you know i, I like which is which is fair like honestly that's a lot of gwen's philosophy um <laughs> in these comics but yeah i uh yeah it was um also good to see her kick green goblin in the face that was I appreciate that. That was that was a good moment. Spider Verse is also the first time she actually gets to team up with her fellow Spider Women, Jess and Cindy. I think the first point I put here is that the Spider Women are unofficially formed during their time on Loom World. Yeah, like I mean, you have to presume this is where they first get each other's numbers. This is where they first, you know, like get to know each other's names and lives and stuff. And and presumably canonically, uh, where Jessica first establishes a sort of I don't know, like mentorship type role for that. Like it has to have begun here, right? Like, cause, cause we read it in the Spider-Woman event, right? Actually not even Spider-Woman a little bit earlier before that. Was it Spider-Gwen number, was it three or four when she was pregnant? Right. And that one, of course, um, as well, where you have this sort of pre-established, like it's not done in the Spider-Gwen comics. It is assumed that Jessica and Gwen have a mentor-mentee sort of ongoing friendship, right? And I think the sort of Spider-Verse here is establishing that. Like, this is the genesis of that, like you say, like it's unofficially forming the Spider-Women. But yeah, this is this is where all of that sort of begins, all of that setup in Spider-Women where they sort of drop in on each other and have brunch and stuff. You have to presume that that's a sort of, that is a legacy of the actions that they take together here, which I, I think is really, I think it's cool. I think it's it feels more meaningful like spider women and spider verse complement each other in this way or at least uh the dennis is it dennis hallam or hopeless mm -hmm. um, i think at this time he was uh hopeless right anyway his comics here i think particularly which which get more into the i think proper characterizations of cindy and jess and gwen you know he, i think he writes them better than what they get written in the main comic here by slot um, and, and at least, or at least they get m more writing together rather that he sort of establishes that sort of rapport between them and sort of as he's, do he's doing the work really here for that later down the line. Remember when, uh, when the three of them first met collectively together on Loom World, Jess was like, I like the Malfi pink one. 
Yes, I love that moment. Um, I like that. Um, I don't know if like maybe Jessica and, and Gwen would have had some kind of passing knowledge of each other prior to that point, because obviously they were in the same sort of groups. But that seems to be like, that's the first canonical acknowledgement that Jess makes of Gwen, uh, which I thought was fun. And then you also get to see that it's apparent that Cindy kind of annoys Gwen a little bit. Yeah, there there is that as well. Like I think Cindy has a sort of optimistic naivete about the world that Gwen certainly does not have, and a lot of that there's a lot of sort of back and forth drawn between them, like sibling type banter, which I found quite fun. Like uh, remember when uh, when Anya pointed out sarcastically is that um, this is how they find out that Gwen doesn't like Eminem's music because Cindy was singing it. Wait, which 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 panel was that again? It was in Spider Woman number four when the Spider Women plus Anya go back to Captain Jess's ship on Loom World, and then Cindy says, "Guess who's back?" Yeah, that was um, yeah, I I like that whole sort of because because they teamed up properly there, right? Like that was a post Spider Verse team up, right? Yeah, they just decide after the war just to go check in on Jess Double O One just to see how she's doing. Yeah, I love that whole. That whole sort of interactions between them were really strong, I think. That, uh, that's where you get the fridged off a bridge moment as well. Yeah. All right, yes, I remember that one. Yeah, no, it's... um, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's... it's uh, Yeah, no, I like that moment. But yeah, it's good. I think it's um, it's fun. And it's like... I think it's like a nice sort of way to characterize those individuals so that they, they feel like they have unique voices within the comic panels. Because I think sometimes there's a tendency for uh, comic team-ups to be like, uh, we need this character to say this line and we need a character to say this line and we need a character to have this we need to have this many quips um and they just sort of broadly assign the right amount of quips and lines for each character and make sure that everybody's got like enough panel time but they don't actually give them like unique feel but in these panels it does feel unique you know like like they've they've properly thought about okay this is what they want cindy to say and this is how they want gwen to react and and it feels quite meaningful um and they sort of veer away i guess from sort of a, a more uh, i don't know they call it was a bendis speak sometimes where it just feels like every character is saying what every other character could also be saying in theory it's just that they've been the one to be uh, assigned it which i thought um they very much avoid at least in dennis Hallam slash hopeless's comics here is the spider woman tie-ins are really quite strong um in this event for that even with uh greg land's art uh very strong in terms of the dialogue and stuff yeah greg land's art um like even though i don't want to bad mouth him it's like uh i don't even have the words to say i'm thinking maybe i would have uh found spider woman tie-ins more appealing if a different person drew him yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was um, there was a couple of moments reading the the Spider Woman tie in here where it's like, yeah, I wanna I wanna post it to Twitter. This is a really cool moment. And then it went, uh, never mind. I don't want I don't want to post any Greg Land art. And uh, you know, to say nothing of um, his like more like specifically bad things that he's done, like actually like morally not good things. Uh, just just his art has a very sort of he has a strange strange way of drawing stuff and he, 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 he normally has very like clean lines and stuff but but it's like it's so sometimes you'll have some panels and it's super super detailed and then you get a few pages in and it's like he loses steam and it's really strange to read um and um yeah i'm thinking let's just say he's probably not the right fit for a spider book because you know spider books there's 
a whole lot of action going on. You got you have to be you know fluid. Yeah, I guess uh, that it's not it's not great. You know, yeah. Uh, it's like because so, sometimes there's like a Greg Land panel. And I think yeah, that's really well done. But yeah, he's um he's sort of he has a sort of yeah. And then there's even the uh, cover for the Party People trade that's also Ghost Spider number six done by Land. I'm like, uh-uh. okay, that was egregious, egregious that cover. Yeah, and I'm just saying, like, um, that's one cover that we do not talk about. No, no, we don't, we don't. But yeah, like, he just doesn't, he didn't get the vibe at all. Did not get the vibe at all. Mm, yeah, I, uh, not, not a huge fan of, and even the way he draws Gwen, like with strange islands and stuff. I, yeah, uh, not, not. Mm, I mean, Frank Demartz is a really good colorist, though. He does really good work on those issues. But yeah. But anyway, to change up the topic. Going back to Gwen's multiversal adventures being continued, she does become one of Billy's first recruits for the Web Warriors. Yeah, we sort of see that like referenced, like in that sort of epilogue issue they do, um, and they establish the Web Warriors thing. This has to be a good, good while before Web Warriors became a thing, right? Like, spite when did Spider Verse happen? Twenty fourteen, and then Secret Wars was next year. Right, so it's not until after Secret Wars that they actually get started properly with the Web Warriors book. At this point, like clearly they wanted to do it, but they just they just had so much event stuff to wait on. So what, what we're doing, we're doing this uh, the Web Warriors stuff next week, right? So the thing that's referenced here with Billy Braddock um, is the Secret Wars incursions, right, where realities are collapsing in on themselves and collapsing in on themselves. And eventually that gets to the point where you only have, like, one reality left and it's this big sort of mess. And that's where all of the Secret Wars comics and tie-in comics and miniseries and stuff all occur, including something called Spider-Verse War Zones! Exclamation mark. It's just called Spider-Verse... I think they just they just made another comic called Spider Verse to follow on <laughs> from this uh, back when they were releasing it in single issues, but it is Spider Verse War Zones for the tie in there, and it it sort of covers, I guess, the initial time that these what one two, three four five six characters, maybe seven with Mayday sometimes, um, Mayday's not in the tie in issue, probably not later on, but uh, the initial roster is six. Yeah, yeah, Mayday doesn't come in until the Web Warriors comic proper, but like uh, this initial six meet up um, in the Secret Wars universe and form the Web Warriors team. And then after Secret Wars ends, they have a Web Warriors team as shown here at the end of Spider-Verse. So that's what that's building up towards, this idea of um, Loom World where you have uh, Spider UK and Master Weaver and Anya is like the main sort of core and then like this this sort of wider team of spider heroes that comes in mm-hmm. to to go do fun Spider-Verse stuff even after the Spider-Verse comic ends which I like I think it's really fun I, I wish it was still around in some way um as well because uh, it was a really really sort of fun concept but yeah we'll be we'll be getting into that more and getting more into Billy Braddock and his sort of cool stuff that he has going on even if he is british <laughs> well if they do reform the web warriors someone has to step up as leader since well billy's dead well if, if only there was a, a another spider character with a very very extraordinary strong sense of of responsibility that that had needed a comic right now 
um, and had a lot of interdimensional aspects to their um, their, their comics. You know, like if only if only we had one of those like just lying around to use. You know, true. Come on, Marvel, announce something for February already. Yes, please. Or March. Yes, please. Just any any month, any month at this point. They could announce it for a year from now, and I'd be excited. Um, but yeah. It's uh, so that's that's what they're setting up with Billy Braddock. They sort of have um, yeah, and and I have to wonder like to what extent this this whole thing because obviously it's referencing Secret Wars, which is more like general incursion, like it's non like they don't do lots of spider motif themed stuff for Secret Wars, um, but like how much that actually ties into like does the web of life and destiny does that affect these incursions, or does it just let them see them happen? You know, like does does Otto like cutting a bunch of strands of web and stuff does that speed along all of that or is that is that just purely um purely the ability for them to communicate and and prophesy and all of that using it yeah i think it's more of a prophecy thing the web of life and destiny or web of reality whatever you want to call it yeah i i I like the idea of them having a sort of interconnected and, and a very visual like representation of that that they have to protect and they can operate from and it looks cool on panel that they can they, they, they do this thing all of the time with it they cut to look at the web of life distance and within each box that the strands create right like in a web uh, they'll put a different spider's face and they do that all the time and i love it when they do that i love the sort of the visual aspect of it but like the implication of it that otto talks a lot about is essentially it's it is predestination like the idea that everything has been already set out and there's not really anything they can do to change that particularly i think isn't as fun <laughs> um for the, for the sort of narrative they're setting up here and, and and you know i quite like spider-verse and how they said it culminates in this big set piece where they have to i uh, stop the ritual from going forward i think that's 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 all i think it's a good way of wrapping up the event it's a good follow-through and payoff but the idea that it, it's all just a sort of predestined thing isn't as as fun for the comic um yeah well the word destiny is in the web of life and destiny this is true i i hear it now i hear it now um yeah uh it's yeah it's um it's one of those things i guess but but yeah i'd like to see to sort of like what extent they do get to properly like influence it because otto raises some very valid concerns about the whole i am literally destined to die thing and uh his concern over that is valid and they don't really do a lot to like address or at least assuage his concerns outside of pete literally just reaffirming that yes i am going to take my body back you are going to die and then punching him out like that's like i'm sorry remember because awk isn't the kind of person who's going to accept a world where he loses no he doesn't and 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 he does find a way around it like you see him see him do his little thing where he copies his consciousness onto the robot and sends it off and all that and we'll um see the consequences of that in a future event that we are going to be covering but you know like by and large the events that he's protesting that he is quite valid in like showing some amount of concern about do not have any kind of like you know they don't they don't they don't sort of try and meaningfully engage with that i think and they sort of raise it last minute here that everything is actually predestined is kind of spooky and like the idea that the master weaver is 
existing outside of linear time and will someday end up falling back into the clutches of the inheritors uh, where he will be killed by superior spidey um after serving as a slave for how many years is also it's kind of spooky and upsetting as well like oh yeah how karn's always gonna be the master weaver no matter what exactly exactly and also spider geddon it doesn't what happens in spider geddon also kind of contradicts yeah it's it's really a very strange thing to sort of just throw in there that khan was the master weaver the whole time like i feel i i don't know i feel like that would have come up somehow after thousands of years stuck with him i i'm yeah, it's it's strange one that. Unless if there's a third Karn that we don't know about, yeah. Maybe there's a third Karn. Maybe there's a th- yeah. There's a lot of yeah. But for right now, uh, Spider Zero is the new Master Weaver in Jed McKay's Spider Verse. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess that's I guess that's that. Um, yeah, it's not the 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 current yeah current Master Weaver is different now, but yeah, it's a I I do love the Master Weaver design by the way, just with the big mechanical looking spider body that they're sort of trapped into by the lower half. That's that's really fun. Uh, it's it's a really cool look. But I'm just imagining um like without a key, how do you get out? <laughs> I don't I don't think they do. I think like it's like a like it's literally like they're trapped in there. Like Cindy speaks about it. Like essentially, if I take this role, I'm trapped in this room forever, just like I was before, and I really don't want to do that again. So I guess going to the bathroom must be a real hassle. I mean, yeah, you, you have to hope, at least imagine that it would take care of all of these things, um, like food and and other bodily functions. Yeah, but that's a whole different conversation for another podcast. I guess it is. What 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 are the biological implications of being trapped in a gigantic spider mechanical body? You know, the this this is the stuff that people ask every day, really. Well, unless if you can upload your mind into that body, where you don't have to worry about eating, sleeping, or going to the bathroom. Yeah, I think it like integrates somehow. But yeah, anyway, a conversation for a different time. Right. Right. Let's go to the one who's headlining the show, even though this is the Ghost Spider show, uh, Peter Parker. Oh, no. Um, yeah, uh, this is an interesting comic for Peter Parker. Um, his his interactions in this are like, like, and the thing we've seen him progress from in, in, in the previous episode is this idea that he should be the leader. And they keep like finding ways to emphasize it, that he's like, sort of getting used to this role etc etc and the culmination of this the the sort of big sort of finale it's a pete being like concerned whether or not he's he should be a leader of all these people is him like saying that actually no i am the superior spider-man to otto octavius and then saying actually you know what i think i can run a company i wasn't sure before but i'm gonna run this company and i i don't like this is a really strange way to like cause view these roles because really like should they exist? Um, like should there be like one spider who is the chosen one? Should there be CEOs? Um, because Dan Slot definitely seems to think so and absolutely emphasizes to us the importance of these things over the course of this event. And I find it really strange for like a spider, a Spider-Man comic to be really getting at this sort of angle it was yeah um like pete's arc is strange because it's like you could say that the role of leader was uh handed off to him right he didn't really like 
earn it well early on late yeah he doesn't he doesn't even have like this thing where he really works at it and stuff like it's just it's just assumed that pete should be the leader over everybody um and yeah like it's not i didn't i didn't feel like it was sold well like the, the this whole process where like actually we want a spider dictator. That's what we need right now is a spider dictator. Um, and it's going to make Pete feel so great about himself that when he goes back to Earth, he's going to become a billionaire CEO. Like, I mean, what kind of an option is that? Like, there's even this whole debate about, you know, the whole Parker Industries debacle during Secret Empire because Ock was infuriated that it was just handed to Peter. But, you know rightfully awk debates that like he worked to uh, start parker industries yeah yeah i mean to say nothing of a like whether or not like that sort of stuff is like a good thing like otto yeah like you say he puts in the work and and it is his thing peter literally just inherits it from this guy that he evicted from his body like it's not yeah it's a really it's just it's just a strange thing to be so keen on like pushing forward with like um yeah, I'm. I was. Yeah, I was really perplexed by the angle on that. Um, there are still some really nice spider moments. I think like superior Spidey spider moments are better somehow. Like, um, I liked all his stuff. Like his the, the speech that he gave to Uncle Ben. I think landed better. But like, like Peter Parker Spider Man has some has some strange moments in this in this event that sort of left me scratching my head a bit. Because it's like with Uncle Ben, he's like giving the sappy, the staple sappy speeches. And then Ock's like, quit crying and suck it up. Yeah, he is. He is. And like initially, it seems like he's going to be really, really mean about it. But I, I like the, the, the sort of the angle that his speech takes that, you know, like failing doesn't make you less valid. Like it doesn't make you less of a hero or less of a person. It is, you know, part and parcel of every great struggle uh, involves failure and failure and failure until, you know, you find your enemy's weakness and he goes back to into his sort of usual spiel. Um but yeah, no, I, I thought it, it landed in, like, maybe the tone could have used work, but, like, the substance of what Superior Spidey said was enough to sort of rouse Uncle Ben Spidey into action. And I thought it, it sort of ended up being quite a good moment. But the one thing about Uncle Ben that was interesting was when he first started his career, he thought he should have been responsible. And then, you know, later on, when he lost Pete and May, he's thinking what could have been if he had chosen to have been irresponsible instead. Yeah, um, it's sort of like like if Pete, after Uncle Ben died, quit being Spider-Man. That's the way I sort of see it. Like, that's what that Uncle Ben is like. Like, he just lost heart. He did, Instead of him having any new great resolve to be any one way or the other about being responsible or not responsible, he just decided to drop it all because he was, he was so plagued by the moral sort of implications of what he was doing. He wanted nothing to do with it. Because, yeah, he was like... A- what would have happened if I chose to listen to Peter and fool around? Yeah, yeah, which which is interesting that he was like he was so responsible that he never he never considered. Yeah, that was I thought it was interesting. I I enjoyed I enjoyed Uncle Ben Spidey, and I enjoy that he gets more play as well in the Web Warriors stuff that we're going to be reading. He's a really interesting character. He's got a cool design as well. I like the Uncle Ben Spidey suit, and um, and and. But- like, isn't there some fan art of uh, the Uncle Ben suit being used by Tobey Maguire? I think maybe, or is that the Ezekiel Sims one? They kind of look similar in design, or maybe that's only the jacket part. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I think the the outfit has been iconic enough that yeah. that yeah no it stuck with people like even after that character sort of not they don't he doesn't really appear in comics anymore but um uh, that outfit has sort of sort of stuck around in in fan stuff which I thought was quite interesting it's it's a good it's a good sign but either way how how cruel it would be if like let's say Tobey Maguire appears in the MCU that he's Uncle Ben's variant. Oh, what well, you think like Tobey Maguire should play Uncle Ben in the MCU as like a younger version? I could see it. Yeah. I th- I think that would Yeah, yeah, he could he could do that. He could he could play an Uncle Ben opposite Marissa Tomei's Aunt May, I think. Marissa Tomei's like 50. I don't know how old Tobey Maguire is right now. I think he's, he's in his 40s. 46. Okay, so yeah, so not that much of a big age difference. Yeah, you could do it. You could do, you could do a little, little young Uncle Ben. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, no, I thought um, it was a cool character, the Uncle Ben here, and I like his character arc is just so solid, and how he goes from from sort of wanting to sort of bury his head in the thermonuclear sand, right, to you know like putting his life on the line and saving Benji Parker and then getting to be a granddad. Yeah, his reward is that he gets to settle down with Mayday's family. Yeah, it's just it like that as a character arc was more satisfying to me than like anybody else in this in this event. Like that moment where he's like, I'm gonna be the thing that no other Uncle Ben has got to be, I'm gonna be a grandfather. I'm like tugging on my heartstrings. Just 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 yeah. Uh, it was a it was a really nice moment. I like that. But I think this would be a nice way to uh, segue into Mayday. Yeah, uh, I don't think Mayday fans really like Spider Verse, from what I understand. Whenever I see, <laughs> whenever I see uh, Mayday fans talking about Spider Verse stuff, they don't they don't like it because of how it sort of just very quickly kills off um, and traumatizes that poor family right at the start of this event, basically, and then keeps referencing it. But you know, it's revealed that like MJ and her boyfriend are alive. Yes. So. Yeah, it's not a, yeah, like by the end they sort of take the edge off that initial trauma, you know, like they they have that grandfather moment. They have um, MJ and, and and the boyfriend and um, Benji's all okay, but obviously Pete of MC two is still apparently dead at the end of this. So yeah, not fun for him. Yeah, I think it's mostly because uh, Mayday, like other than rescuing Benji, her other priority is kill Deimos. Yeah, like, and she sort of has this very sort of like dark sort of path they put her on for a lot of issues here, where she's very vengeful, very like, yeah, I want to murder this dude. And when she actually has chance to, you know, return the favor and and kill Damus's father, she has this like moment where she's like, I have the strength to crush this soul crystal, um, and but then goes actually no, and 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 she has her sort of uh luke skywalker moment and and sort of decides to not be evil um and kill the the father um and it's a nice it's a nice moment because like she could have easily done you know an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth a father for a father yeah yeah and um i th- i think it was quite interesting the sort of lengths that um the story goes to creating uh a situation where they can effectively defeat the inheritors without killing them. I think that was um 
that was a nice sort of way of getting around it. It was, it was interesting. Well, at least I wouldn't say nice, actually. It was an interesting way of getting around it. <laughs> well, they're dying a slow and painful death. Yeah, I mean, they have food, but yeah, they're, they're pretty much trapped in that bunker. It's a sort of an eternal imprisonment, which I don't know if that is best to come to think of it, but... But it's certainly a pretty grim fate. But yeah, they wanted a way around just outright executing these people. Um, and they found a way to sort of provide them with a place where they can live and like eat without traveling the multiverse and killing spider totems. Which is fine, I guess, for now anyway. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But they have to eat like actual spiders every day every day for the rest of their life. Like, yeah. Are they going to get sick of that or something? Well, they're like nuclear looking spider things, aren't they? They're like, they're like mutated. Uh, they're all radioactive spiders. But yeah, it's like, you know, what's for lunch? Radioactive spider. What's for dinner? Radioactive spider. What's for breakfast? Radioactive spider. Just shut up and eat it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a grim fate. That gives me the creeps. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is unfortunate for them. But uh, speaking of creeps, like remember how sweet Moreland is on uh, Jess's counterpart and also Jess herself. Yeah, that's just creepy. It's. I mean, it was it was strange to me like this idea like because obviously he's got to be aware of jessica drew as a spider totem right like he's got to have killed some jessica drews in his life if he's killed thousands of peter park he's killed at least one jessica drew right yeah, but maybe loom world jess was the only non-powered jess yeah yeah i wonder how he like like he never because it's not acknowledged you have to wonder whether or not like how how he would justify that to himself and stuff but yeah he's so he has his sort of own jessica drew here who clearly like is sort of stuck in this role of being his sort of like entertainer type girlfriend person like they never they never officially state her role out loud do they well i think i feel like it's lovers but one but mostly one-sided on Moreland's side yeah like the power dynamics are, it's, are terrible like he is this all-powerful vampire who rules this planet and and she's just a regular person who really wants to go be a pirate. Yeah, I think it's mostly on his side because remember he told Jess that uh he went to another earth just to get special shrimp for her. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what that reminds me of like Omni-Man and Invincible um <laughs> like traveling the planet to bring back like exotic gifts and stuff and being like, "Look, I'm not a terrible person, but actually they are terrible people, um, and um, and I think perhaps like maybe Morlin feels that having this sort of more, I don't know, sensitive aspect to his life perhaps means that he's not as irredeemable as the rest of his actions would make him seem. I don't know. They could really get into that, but either way, he's he's merely just uh, just 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 exploiting this poor person, and yeah. But remember that he doesn't see Loom World Jess as a commoner because when he asked Jess 616 why was she bowing down like the rest of the uh, prisoners with jobs, that's what we're going to call it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jessica's got some kind of celebrity status, right? Like, which she exploits to her own ends later on. Uh, but but yeah, like it's it's an interesting th- direction to take those characters, and I have to say, like, like remember, it's also even implied that um, Loom World Jess also has other special privileges. Remember when uh, MJ Double O One said that no amount of flirting is gonna get you special treatment? 
yeah um yeah i thought that was that was um yeah, that was um, an interesting moment, um, for sure, that they, they put into the comic there. So I'm thinking, does Loom World just flirt with MJ just to get special treatment too? Hopefully. No, um... Because MJ's the guard of the hall. Um, yeah, right. I thought that was, a, yeah, it was a really interesting way to be like, oh, by the way, there's an MJ on Loom World. And she's a great hall guard. And you're like, okay. Um, yeah, like, I wonder if any of these people are aware of like are other people in Loom World are they are they people from other realities that have ended up on Loom World or are they people who have... Well it was mentioned that Loom World was just a bunch of realities that the inheritors Frankenstein together the realities that they already conquered Yeah like it sort of feels like these people would have had some kind of non-inheritor related existence prior to the one that we see them in and I have to wonder, like, to what extent they're aware of that. And they could really get into a lot of this sort of world building here, but it's sort of, they, they sort of quickly wade through a lot of it. Because remember last week we mentioned if you're part of Spidey's supporting cast, you're stuck as a prisoner with a job? Pretty much. Like, are they, are they going in killing a Spider-Man and then seeing all their supporting cast and bringing them back with them? I don't know. I, I, I would have liked to have seen some of their process with this, like, some of the process behind, you know, how are they running Loom World or how do they make hounds? Um, how do they recruit people like Mary Jane to be great hall guards? Anything to that effect, I think, would, would have been quite interesting because I think, uh, like, th there's a lot of maybe issues with the way that they sort of expanded Morlin and his sort of lore to the inheritors and stuff. But but I think Loom World is very interesting. Um, and even though it gets, gets lots of play here and it gets lots of play in the Web Warriors comics, it still feels fairly shallow kind of depends on what uh loom world just wants to do since she's the new boss of the dimension yeah and i thought that was interesting as well like how again coming back to this thing about wanting to appoint dictators and and really powerful people like one person to run everything type <laughs> type situation well everyone already loves pirate queen jess right and don't get me wrong i love pirate queen jess too but is Pirate Queen Jess the best person <laughs> to unite Loom World? Um, like, you know, like of all the sisters, like they, they had a blank slate from which to construct a new world, right? And they went. Well, that's what the Spider Women thought that uh, Loom World Jess was the best person. Yeah, like they could have, I mean, they could have implemented any number of systems to like run the place and have them figure things out. But they were like, what we're going to do is we're going to find the person most like us on this on this planet and put just them in charge that's what they did and i thought that was a really strange again it was, it was i don't i don't i don't know why like they have this sort of strange creative drive to keep putting these single people in charge of things um like instead of i don't know like running things in a more um equitable way or any number of systems, or even just being like, here's an election, you know, they could have done an election, or right, they could have done cooperative, or whatever, like, there's all kinds of different um, systems which are, which are not appointing a pirate queen to be in charge of everything. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know, it seemed really strange. It made for a really fun moment, though. But she did make her appeal on the grounds that she used to be just like them, like a commoner, like a slave. I have no doubt in my heart that Pirate Queen Jess would be a, a benevolent dictator. Um, I, I have, I have no, uh, I have no doubts about that. But 
but I <laughs> like saying all that sappy stuff to the spider woman's face, and then when they just left, it's just like, okay, this is how it's really gonna go down. Yeah, um, I thought it was, yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was, um, it was interesting as well, like her whole interaction where she has with them, where she's like, she has this sort of moment where she's saying, um, she's like poised to fight, she's poised to continue this sort of conflict that she has with them. And then, like, Jess 616 clarifies and says, no, 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 we're here to ask you to lead these people. And she's like, oh, oh, why didn't you say so? And, like, calls off the pirate guards and within a couple of panels, like, there's this joint spider-women pirate coalition fighting any combatants in Loomworld's main city there. And I thought that was, re- that was really amusing to me. <laughs> it kind of seems like after the whole deal with Pirate Queen Jess, that Prime Jess just has enough. Remember that, uh, I even included this comment from Siren, a good friend of the show. Right. Uh, she said, Jess was over the multiversal shenanigans before they even began. She's just so done. I love her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, she she sort of get, gets out quick there. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I love how they do that little epilogue issue where it sort of cuts away to Jess considering her own life and the implications that all of this has had for her. But she is she's just very done with the sort of the really big stuff, you know. She wants to do something that's a bit more um normal. I, I don't know, normal uh smaller scale maybe. Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, after being impersonated by the scroll queen for like a few months or something, maybe she thinks enough is enough. Yeah, I mean that I mean that would have happened a while before this event, right? Like Scroll Queen Jess is not a recent thing at this point right no that was all the way back in 2006 but like i can see that yeah yeah there's been a bit of a time gap but i think it's more like there's a sort of more general fatigue for jess over having to be in 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 all these very big team-ups where she's having to deal with the end of the world and she's taken a lot of knocks doing it and she's considering like what kind of direction that she wants to take for her future and she realizes that you know like maybe she wants to have an apartment that in a nor in a normal apartment block and have normal interests and do more street level type superhero work and i think that was yeah that made sense like she wants to switch things up from the sort of the big avengers level threat right stuff to more uh could be like she's doing some more like spy stuff she's leaning more into the spy stuff yeah like the genre of the spider woman comics feels you know like different to anything that you'd read in an avengers comic of course like from this point onwards you know it's um you know that she she's yet yeah, she she moves more towards a brand of her own really yeah, and remember she had to use her spy knowledge to uh impersonate loom world jess remember how she was trying to uh, cover up how she's not loom world jess to morlin she's like what are you hiding behind your hands it's like nothing yeah it's uh it, it, that was a that was a really awkward moment for jess there i was uh and, and it made me cringe as well the explanation she came up for them like she's like going to the bathroom yeah like my hands are still wet and stuff and i'm like what 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 is going on like <laughs> it's a really awkward sort of in- interaction there and yeah or when she was like eating dinner with Moreland, he's like like i thought shrimp was your favorite yeah and then she has to find an explanation every single time she's doing something that's out of line with what 
Limworld Jess would have wanted or done or acted in uh, the way of. So it's um yeah, it it made for like a fun sort of tension uh in those pages where she is undercover. Yeah, it's just, you know, very weird that Morlin is sweet on both Jesses, but you know, the one thing that Morlin is not not good with babies. He's not uh he's 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 not good dad material by any means i don't think um don't think he's um he's not boyfriend material he's certainly not <laughs> gonna be dad material yeah he's uh he, he doesn't have a very uh fatherly approach to to dealing with uh baby benji um and also the fact that they they, they clarify in that scene that they don't need to kill the sacrifices right they just need blood they just need to combine the blood with the web right so they don't they don't need a lot to do that just need just a symbolic amount of blood on there you know obviously kane is already dead but they don't kill cindy like he just cuts a hand and then it's over and done with but then for baby benji the baby the weak completely harmless baby he's like no i'm gonna go all right all out for this one i'm gonna stab the baby and i'm like why like isn't there a much more like I don't know if there's another way to do it, like another gentler way just to get blood from a baby. Absolutely. They could have just done the same thing that he did to Cindy. Would have still been awful. Like, don't get me wrong. He still would have been terrible. And he still would have probably would have been foiled in the act. But like the fact that he's like, he he does Cindy in this really sort of gentle, I'm just going to cut your hand away. And then he comes to the baby and he's lifting the dagger over his head. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh like remember during the handoff um he was like i've had enough of this thing yeah like it's um yeah it, it was a wild moment and and i have to wonder like if that sort of yeah yeah it was just it was just a very strange yeah Morland's just not good with babies yeah he's not not at all um yeah he's a bad just a bad dude He's a really, really bad dude. Um, he sort of steps up a bit as the sort of main inherited person after Solus dies as well. I've noticed it. I noticed here he sort of like it wasn't Deimos. Deimos seemed kind of beaten after Solus died. He, he was a bit lost, so it ended up being like it was more Morlin who took on the main inherited person role after that point. Yeah, because uh, Morlin's most recent appearance was actually in Sinister War. Oh right! Oh, I did not. He realized he was in that. How is he? How is he doing? <laughs> Well, he got defeated with all of the other Sinister. I'm not sure how many teams there were. I think uh, there were six of them. So, like, I think yeah, all of the Sinister Sextets were defeated. So, and he was just part of one faction. I can't remember which faction he was, but he was there. He seems a bit powerful to be put on just another Sinister team. I don't know. I need to read it. Uh, it's depending on what Gabriel and Sarah wanted to do. So... <laughs> Yeah, there is that. And um, yeah, like, I think one of the things that comes through from this event is really just the sheer unstoppable nature of the inheritors, right? Like, they are physically capable of taking on dozens of spider totems at once, killing them, and it making them stronger in the process. And even if they do get defeated, even if they die, um, they end up just respawning and able to, like, portal back in on that moment. And they have uh, sort of complete free reign ability to traverse the multiverse and i think that like as a as a sort of power level that they establish for morlin for demos for genix for all of them right is really interesting and um i i think like sort of keeps the stakes very high for this event but also at the same time that's not something they could keep in place long term maybe which obviously they don't by the end of this event 
this idea that inheritors can just portal in at any moment on anybody that they catch the sense of. But yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting concept. The idea of these sort of driven by animal instincts, able to portal in from anywhere, able to respawn infinitely. So they sort of said, what, what will happen if we created all-powerful spider foes? And I think that was really interesting. Uh, the spawning is only if they have access to their cloning tech. If there's no cloning tech, then they're stuck. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that, that sort of breaks down by the end of it. That happened over in the Scarlet Spiders tie-in issues. Yeah, because they destroyed Genix's facility. So yeah. they couldn't... Re- That's why they couldn't put Solus in a new body. They had to store him in that crystal. Yeah, I think I remember reading that. That's got um Ultimate Jessica Drew in, right? And yeah. Well, she's Black Widow now. And they had the Ben Riley from an alternate Earth that stayed as Spider-Man who died. Yeah, Earth-94. Right, Earth-94, Ben Riley, he's dead. Um, and he he dies in that, which which gets Kane, who's on the on the team as well, really angry for when he reappears in the main line here as the other, which I thought was interesting. It's really cool how Kane utilizes his abilities as the other. Yes, oh my days! I I love seeing it, and I love how they, in little visual ways, are able to show to what extent he's tapping into it. Like they'll have him get spikier, they'll have his speech bubbles change, um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a really cool design. Like the payoff when you see it is like just really great and and the fact that it's a very consequential thing to the rest of it as well like he is the one who kills solace like he kills solace like straight up just solace is like i've never felt more alive and then it cuts off and he's dead um <laughs> and i just i thought that was yeah like they really built up to this thing they provided the payoff for it and it has consequences that last in the story and, and it look looks great the whole time um I thought it was interesting how they sort of establish, I guess, I guess he's sort of always been this, but sort of establishes the angstier clone, right? Like Kane is the angsty one. And that's his sort of role is he's an angsty Peter Parker, uh, which he fits into quite nicely in this book. And then when we get to do a future episode later on, I like how being the angsty Peter Parker, how well he gets along with Gwen, who's another angsty spider. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to doing Clone Conspiracy. I think more than I, I was looking forward to doing this one because um yeah like i like i like that sort of the the way that she fits in with the, the spiders there they were really yeah uh, and and how she fits in with the friendships they established with with her and kane and and stuff yeah gwen and kane should hang out more often absolutely like i think if they did another web warriors they should have kane on it because he was already he was web warriors adjacent from this point onwards anyway wasn't he, he was because they, they bring him back within the context of the web warriors base on loom world as you can see at the end of this thing with his hand sticking out and stuff, I think he should be on a future Web Warriors team with Gwen. And Anya leading it, she should get to lead the team that she like basically built. But would they be using the Ticket to the Multiverse or would they just be using rebuilt Web Watches? Either or. But but yeah, I, I really, really want to see that sort of future Web Warriors team and they could bring in some of these these characters who've, who've uh, currently don't really have ongoings at the moment but could sort of justify a team up and they wouldn't have to go too big with it but yeah well anya's in black widow right now oh yeah even though i don't read it but yeah oh, she's yeah. in there i completely forgot about that i need to read that because kelly thompson's solid as a writer and uh it seems like a really cool comic uh yeah no i need to read that one but in fairness i think most people have forgotten where spider girl is right now yeah i think um I'm glad that she's getting picked up somewhere, but yeah, it did sort of seem like for a while there, like after Web Warriors, Web Warriors was like her last big, was her sort of last thing where she sort of had a main 
sort of featuring role and the covers and stuff. Because I think I feel like that uh, her presence in the Marvel Spider-Man cartoon is what uh, made the writers interested in using Anya again in the comics. Yeah, I think I think that's often how it is. Is you have characters that get established and they they have comics and they have um, fans and stuff, and then they end up going away for whatever reason, whether it's an editorial mandate or it's about money they want to make or they have this new thing that they want to bring in. And uh, what ends up happening is when some other creative team picks up the same comic book uh, to adapt for television or streaming or film or, or whatever medium. Um, they suddenly start bringing this character back and then the people writing the comics then have to sort of like stop themselves for a moment and go, oh, oh we've forgotten about this person. We should probably probably do something with them to to show that we're doing our part with this character uh, for when like fans come in to read or execs ask about the particular character or for merchandising and marketing and stuff. So if you wanted to uh, see the Web Warriors being used again, would it just be the same team but sub in Billy for Kane? Yeah, I think that could work. Um, yeah, they could use the same team, or they could they could do a smaller team if they wanted. Because I think yeah, six or seven, yeah, six or seven max is what it should be. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends how long the comic would run. Because like, if you had like seven in there, then you you know you've got to make sure that everybody gets lots of play and everybody gets character moments and stuff. Um, like, unless you have like. You know, when when you start to get more than that, you need a really long sort of ongoing to get around everybody. You know, like Hickman's X Men. You know, you need to, you know, you need how many issues did he have to sort of get around all those different characters and different different little stories you wanted to do. So it's um, yeah, the sort of my view of it is that there is yeah, there's a lot of potential for the Web Warriors stuff, the world building. I think with loom world and stuff is, is very interesting. It's very intriguing, but also it leaves a lot more to be explored. And that as a status quo for spider heroes, traversing the multiverse, dealing with different multiversal threats of villains, using it for evil purposes. Um, the web of life and destiny that is, uh, you know, is compelling. And I, you know, I want to see more of that really. There's some cool stuff they could do with that. Um, and I think it's a shame that comics ended. Well, at least when we cover all three trades of Web Warriors, we still get to see a lot of Gwen playing around in it, which is good for us. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, absolutely, we're going to be seeing lots of, lots of that. Mike Costa, right? Uh, Mike Costa's Web Warrior comics. So it's uh, his his three trades there, and and getting into those. I'm looking forward to that. I think, uh, should we start giving our final opinions about both parts of Spider-Verse already? Yeah, I think we should do that. That works. Yeah. Okay, so, like, what I thought of Spider-Verse, and honestly, I only read uh, the event, like, two or three years ago, because that's that's one of the first trades that I picked up. I thought it was going to be, you know, a, like, a bloodbath at first, just because, you know, it's it's all a great big hunt, but... I did like how this is the opportunity presented for Gwen to make her presence known to the multiverse and to us as readers in the wider base. And also, you know, her interactions with the rest of the spiders. Well, actually, every spider interacting with each other because some of them are people that they wouldn't normally hang out with, like socially speaking. But I really did like all of the, you know, the action, all of the emotional moments. Maybe even a little bit of the uh, uh, groaner moments, <laughs> but yeah, that's 
that's how I feel about Spider-Verse. It's just one big love letter to being a Spider fan. Nice. No, I like that. I like Spider-Verse. I think it, um, especially at the start, really builds stakes well. I like the way they, they try and bring in, you know, everyone. They really do try and bring in everyone that they can think of. Yeah, like people that, I don't, I don't like, char- like characters from television shows and stuff, um, even. And uh, that that sort of creates this, yeah, it's, it's a really fun environment. I think individually characters are handled to varying amounts of quality you have some very very hard misses such as uh, cindy moon but then you have um some characters that have done it in a really really good way i think um obviously gwen is an example of, of a character that i think generally speaking has a good time of it but then you have some which are which you know have a really uh, interesting role such as uh, superior spidey or uncle ben spidey um and um yeah i, I absolutely um i i would recommend Spider-Verse, especially to Spider-Gwen fans, uh, just as a sort of, this sort of establishes her well within the context of the comic book world and her relationship to other characters. It's a good framing, I think. There's a couple of bad moments, but overall it's a very good sort of approach to Gwen here. And the world building, I think, is quite strong in terms of Loomworld and the web of life and destiny. Um, I might have some philosophical issues with predestination or the sort of wanton appointment of individuals to uh, have positions of immense power when it's not super necessary. But yeah, outside of that, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was it was a good it's a good comic, and I'm really glad we had the chance to do it for the podcast. Yeah, same here. So, uh, should I start giving the spiel for our next episode? Yes, absolutely. All right. So next week we're gonna be starting the. Actually, it's kind of considered the prelude to the actual Web Warriors comic. As we mentioned before, we're going to be reading Spider-Verse War Zones, which is a tie-in to Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars that he did back in 2015. We're not reading the main book. We're just reading Spider-Verse War Zones because that's the only time Gwen appears in it. Well, Gwen 65 canonically, just not her other versions. Right. But the web warriors that are featured in Spider-Verse War Zones are Gwen, whoop whoop, Spider-UK, Anya, Spider-India, Spider-Man Noir, and Spider-Ham. Go team. <laughs> so anyway, the six of them end up in Battle World because that's what Secret Wars is all about. They're in this uh, dimension where they have to uh, free it because it's under the rule of one Mayor Norman Osborn. So we're going to get to see how all of that goes down in Secret Wars. Yeah, it's a really fun comic. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's um, it's going to be good. So as always, we'll put links in the description of what to buy and where to read. And also Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider's reading list and the comicsology. And if you had any questions about War Zones or any thoughts about War Zones, you can email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at gsgroupies. We also have a coffee page if you want to help us pay for the Podbean subscription. Just check in a few bucks to help us out. Yeah, please do. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks, Abigail. All right, so for this week, I've been Abigail. I've been Pax. Bye, everyone. Bye, you, bye. Bye.